You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Framing Britney Spears took the internet by storm after its February release, instigating a conversation about early 2000s tabloid culture. The documentary, presented by the New York Times and released on Hulu, follows Britney Spears' conservatorship fight with her father. And in doing so, it unearths a discourse on the casual and pervasive sexism of the early aughts. The film documents the pop star's meteoric rise and catastrophic fall, showcasing the delight that so many people took in her public pain. Under the harsh lens of 2021, the celebrity culture of 20 years ago looks really toxic and leaves a lot of people asking, how was this ever okay? Luckily, many stars who shot to fame at the turn of the century are now able to reclaim their narrative. They're pushing us all to reconsider the misogynistic and exploitative nature of that not-too-distant past. Today, we want to talk with Jessica Bennett, an editor-at-large who covers gender and culture at the New York Times. She recently wrote a piece titled, Speaking of Britney, What About All Those Other Women? Welcome to Detroit Today, Jessica Bennett. Thanks for having me. So the new Britney Spears documentary has triggered this conversation about tabloid culture. Can you talk a little bit about what led up to the paparazzi frenzy of the 2000s and what impact it had on our conception of celebrity and especially female celebrity? Yeah, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, we we work in media. This was a different time. This was an era when magazines were making tons of money. Tabloid magazines in particular were making tons of money. It was after the Gulf War. People sort of wanted to turn away. And yet we had this new technology that allowed us to have 24-7 news cycles. And so the networks realized and the tabloids realized that celebrity news could be a 24-7 cycle and it would actually make money. And so that's when you started to see these celebrities appear, you know, week after week, day after day on the covers of these magazines that you found in your grocery store. That was another thing, too. We don't really buy magazines at the grocery store as much anymore. And so Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, all of these women who, you know, were struggling in some ways, going through normal human struggles, Mm -hmm were suddenly on the cover of every tabloid and we were mocking them and we were kind of delighting in, in the way that they were being talked about. Mm. And, and at the time, there wasn't a recognition that there was something about this that wasn't, wasn't just unfair, but was, was highly gendered. I, I, I seem to remember that there, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion about why female pop stars were were facing this kind of scrutiny and mistreatment and and male pop stars really weren't. Yeah, and not just pop stars. You know, this was the era of Monica Lewinsky and and Bill Mm -hmm. Clinton as well, which was one of the first stories to really explode on the internet. And we saw her, you know, shamed in all sorts of ways. But I grew up in this era. (laughs) I, you know, I consumed it. Um, I think I was in high school at the time. I'm about the same age as Britney Spears. And so I was consuming it and not really realizing myself how gendered it was or how 
you know, we were, we didn't really have an understanding of things like mental health, or at least we weren't talking about it. Like this was a woman in Britney Spears case who was self-destructing in the public eye for all of us to see. And clearly there were serious mental health issues going on there. And I think today, if a celebrity were to fall apart publicly like that and then go into treatment, we'd be sort of applauding them for seeking help. Hmm. And back then we were just really gawking at all that was going on. Yeah. Uh, The other thing that kind of stands out to me about this era is uh the, the the sort of common thread of an overbearing or controlling uh or menacing male figure that mm-hmm. that that kind of juxtaposes with with many of uh of the female celebrities who 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 went through this obviously Britney Spears uh, Jessica Simpson uh Monica Lewinsky uh, as you, as you point out and there is a real um, you know, there's a real tenor to the coverage that gives enormous passes uh, to the males involved in in those stories as well. It's not just the the exploitative nature of the cover of the women, the coverage of the women. It's it's the passive coverage uh, in in many cases of the men. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, now with Britney Spears, she's in this conservatorship where her father has control of her finances. And that's sort of evocative when thinking about, you know, this is an adult woman who can't control her own life. And there are certainly some reasons for that. And we don't know all the details. But when we think about so many of these young female pop stars or young female figures during that era, you know, this was a media entirely controlled by men for the most part then. Janet Jackson is another person that comes to mind. You know, she had that incident with Justin Timberlake at the 2004 Super Bowl halftime Mm -hmm. show Mm -hmm. where they had their famous wardrobe malfunction. Her breast was exposed and she was then blacklisted. Her music was not played. Her videos were not played. And that decision came down from Les Moonves, then the CEO of CBS, who was since fired for sexual harassment. So he penalized Janet Jackson and apparently, you know, really was out to get her while Justin Timberlake was invited back and didn't really face these repercussions. So it's sort of from, you know, the the executives running the media companies to you rarely saw female paparazzi at, at this stage, to those running the magazines, to many of the photographers. You know, there's this famous 1999 Rolling Stone cover story of Britney Spears where she's she's basically in her underwear and she's holding a Teletubby. And you probably remember this if you lived that era. I certainly <laughs> bought it at my local store and remember flipping through it with my friends in high school. But there was this real question of, you know, does a 17-year-old have agency to decide she wants to take her clothes off on the cover of a magazine? And she was shot by a, a famous fashion photographer on the cover, a man. But nobody involved in that conversation was really raising these critical points. It was a male reporter. It was a middle-aged male reporter. It was a male editor. It was a male photographer. And, you know, a 17-year-old in her childhood bedroom was posing with her dolls. Wow. Wow. And so looking back on it now, it's sort of like, okay, you don't want to take away the woman's agency. She did agree to do this. She later said she wanted to do it. She sort of had said mixed things later on about whether she was comfortable or not. Mm. But 
certainly today someone have would have raised a red flag to say this is an underage girl how right. about we don't put her on the cover of the magazine in her underwear yeah yeah uh, i'm talking with jessica bennett editor at large at the new york times she covers women culture and politics uh, we're talking about about 20 years ago and the way that uh, female celebrities were covered by the paparazzi in many instances uh, inappropriately, uh, the exploitative nature of the coverage of their rise to fame and often uh, catastrophic falls that followed uh, the differences in the way that they were covered versus male celebrities or the differences between the way they were covered and the males in their lives uh, were covered at, at the time. Um, we're talking about how different that is now and a new documentary that the New York Times uh, and Hulu put out about Britney Spears that kind of asks us to reconsider those things, reconsider the way that those things happened uh, 20 years ago. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you remember from media of 20 years ago. Uh, do you think portrayal of women in the media has changed over the last two decades and that uh, – Young stars like Britney Spears or Jessica Simpson uh, get treated differently today than they would have uh, in the early aughts. Uh, also, give us a call and tell us what you still think needs to change. Uh, what are some of the things that you see in current media that remind you of the things that we used to see uh, 20 years ago. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, you can, Or go to uh, uh, Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. We also want to hear from you if you've seen this new documentary, Framing Britney Spears. What did you think of it? Uh, and did it make you think harder about the way that media treats uh, female celebrities now and treated them then? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number uh, on the phones. Uh, Jessica, uh, 20 years ago, black women were hardly represented in magazines or mainstream media really at all, despite being some of the biggest names in entertainment. Can you talk more about how race factors into this examination of early 2000s sexism. Yeah, you know, as I was sort of going back through the archives and looking at the history, I kept expecting to find, you know, horribly egregious double standards when it came to women of color. And it wasn't that that wasn't the case, but this was a time when they weren't getting covers. They weren't getting the same coverage purely based on race. You know, Beyonce a couple of years ago did this Vogue cover story where she talked about when she began her career, people were like, Nope, you're just not going to get the kind of covers that the white girls get. And so they didn't have those same opportunities. So they often went to magazines like Vibe or those who cater to specific communities to talk about their own struggles. But we do see things like, you know, I... I had missed this at the time, but Brandy, who I always thought was married to the, the father of her child, she went on Oprah a couple of years ago and said she actually had concocted that marriage. They were they were never married, mm. but she was so worried that, you know, being a mother 
of a child who was not married to the father, particularly as a black woman, would stir up all sorts of stereotypes and would really damage her career. So she created this whole story. And, you know, in this interview, she apologized to Oprah for lying in the past. But I think that's just one shred of an example of the ways that, you know, Black women in particular during this era not only faced the gender issue, but also faced the race issue and were oftentimes sexualized in a different way. Hmm. Um, you know, there was the whole era of kind of raunch and, and Little Kim and Foxy Brown, and they felt different in that they were a bit older and they were confident in their sexuality, clearly, like they were making these decisions. But there's just so much to unpack if you dig deep in how we covered them, how we interpreted them, whether they continue to rise to fame. Um, you know, Foxy Brown sort of disappeared from the conversation. It's just, there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Julia in Hazel Park. Julia, welcome to the show. Hi, can you hear me? I sure can. Okay, first off, thank you so much for taking my call. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I am actually uh, pursuing a career in stand-up comedy and i started doing this in the last two years in the metro Detroit area and i'm really excited about this conversation around um the issues with like misogyny in the entertainment industry and also how it can you know be pervasive on a local level and be a little bit delayed mm. you know like some of the things that are occurring culturally on like a national level you know it takes time to catch up but one of the things that i found really interesting about this conversation but it hasn't really been brought up a lot is about um i am an openly gay woman and Growing up, watching this over the sexualization of these pop stars at 16 and 17, there was always this real cognitive dissonance for me mm. because I knew personally experiences on a, you know, in a high school level, on a middle school level, of adults um, who were adult men who were, very, you know, showing inter showing interest in preteen and teen girls, right? Mm. Sexualizing them at such a young age, and as someone who is now, like I said, out wasn't at the time. There was this thing where I was looking at it and I was like, I don't understand how this is appropriate. Like, I even remember in high school, there was conversations um, around, you know, interactions with like substitute teachers that were, I remember them like making flirty comments to students. And it was so acceptable, right? Because this was going on also in Rolling Stone magazine that I was receiving. It was going along in, you know, the, again, the magazines that I was seeing in the store. And, you know, there's still, in the same time, there was a lot of conversation, around, like, within that time period um, around, I remember, like, Lindsay Lohan a couple of years later, mm -hmm. and the person she was dating kept being referred to as a man, right? So it was this, like, really intense environment. And I know for myself, it, it stopped me from pursuing careers. Wow. In it stopped me from, I realize now, of course, you know, you like to look back and give continuity to things. But it's like it stopped me from doing this for so long. And part of the reason was I didn't feel personally strong enough to address it by myself. I didn't feel like I could be seen or that, you know, even now as an adult woman in her 30s, I am, you know, still butting up even with people, comedians, male comedians who I appreciate and enjoy the company of. There's still this rhetoric around like one woman at performance shows or, you know, yeah. like that being out, there's so many conversations on, oh, are you making your comedy around sex and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that was just something I wanted to bring up too is in this, there's not, you know, there hasn't been a conversation about also like 
a lot of the sexism and the homophobia that was tied to sure, it, the presentation sure. of this hypersexuality that, you know, one, not all girls and women really identify with. But if you are already in a position where you are a minority, you know, like a, for myself, like I said, I'm an out lesbian. If you're in a minority, you know, you're trying to figure out where all this stuff fits in and right. you're watching this and you're not seeing adult men standing up and saying this is appropriate, right. inappropriate, sorry, not appropriate. Yeah. You know, I was lucky to have parents who were, are feminists and who made a point of saying to me that, like, these are healthy boundaries, but I was one of very few who I knew who was having these conversations wow. Wow. on Jessica, a home level. Jessica, I'm really glad you called uh, and shared that experience. And, and of course, uh, good luck to you in pursuing your stand-up career. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, Jessica, respond to to what she's talking about here. Yeah, there's so much there. I was trying to clock all the things I wanted to say. Um, you know, first of all, I, I so hear you. I think we internalize so much of this. I don't think I realize the effect that growing up on these celebrities who were viewed in this very heteronormative, you know, male gaze, you could say. That sounds academic, but this idea that they were being created in the model of what a straight man would want. And they were sort of dished on a platter to fulfill that in some ways. And I don't think I fully realized the effect that had on me until I was much older. But, you know, people weren't publicly out at this time. Mm -hmm. We were not talking about sexuality and gender in the way that we are now. Um, I spoke to Rosie O'Donnell when I was reporting this piece and she was saying, you know, this was just such a different time. Like Ellen was like the one Mm -hmm. Um, and nobody else was really talking about it. And everything was so framed in this heterosexual framework. And I think that, so I've been watching the Woody Allen documentary that's now streaming on HBO. And it is a really fascinating case study mm-hmm. in in what this caller is talking about with regard to an older man sleeping with a much younger woman in in the case of Woody Allen you know there's some confusion or we're not sure when the relationship actually began but there's some evidence to show that it began when she was in high school and people were not outraged in the same way that they would be now you know mm-hmm. the, the number of celebrities who dated much, much, much younger, sometimes underage women, you could count at that time. And it was just like a shrug, you know, that, you know, men like younger women, that's what happens. That's what they do. And there wasn't this much more complex conversation happening that is thankfully happening now about whether that's appropriate and about whether someone can have agency at that age. Mm. And it's been, I think it's been encouraging to see some of these new generation, younger women celebrities, Billie Eilish, Lizzo, others who, A, they have the opportunity to talk directly to their audience because social media has provided that. So they don't have to go through these gatekeepers of traditional mainstream media. So they can speak directly to their audience. They feel, they seem much more comfortable in their own skin. They are controlling the images. They're putting the images out, but they're not immune from it either. You know, Mm -hmm. Billie Eilish has said part of the reason she wears baggy clothes is because she doesn't want attention on her body. On her body, yeah, yeah. 
Wow. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Jessica Bennett of the New York Times. We'll also continue to hear from you, Kevin and Novi, Sam in Ann Arbor. We'll get to you next. You want to join them? 313-577-1019 is the number here. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Jessica Bennett, editor-at-large at the New York Times. She covers women, culture, and politics. We're talking about the early aughts and the way female celebrities were covered uh, at the time by paparazzi and others who kind of gleefully watched their rise to stardom, but also just as gleefully watched their fall and indulged really exploitative themes about uh, these young women. Uh, we're talking about how that has changed over 20 years. Uh, a new documentary about Britney Spears suggests that there has been change, but also suggests how wrong uh, we were 20 years ago in the way that we as a culture treated those women. We want to hear from you as well what you think about that coverage from the early aughts and comparing it to now. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to work them into the conversation. Let's go to Sam in Ann Arbor. Sam, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, as I told the screener, I was in my early 20s when Brittany was a pop phenom, so she didn't really speak to me in the way that she would have if I was a younger kid. But mm -hmm. nonetheless, I remember um, something that was often discussed relating and regarding Brittany and her cohort was their uh, evangelical faith. And mm. looking back at that, through the lens of history, I think that's an interesting juxtaposition because it seems as if her strong evangelical views would absolve all of the imagery that was projected onto her. Oh, wow. wow. I'll, take my, I'll take everything off the air, but thank Sam, you. Sam, no, thanks very much for calling and, and raising that. Uh, Jessica Bennett, uh, what role did their faith play in, in all of this? That's such an interesting point that I hadn't thought of. I mean, this is a time, and maybe we're still living in this time to some extent, where we tend to see high-profile women in these boxes. It's hard for us to see the complexity of them. It's either, you know, they're falling into a trope. They are the slut or they are the virgin. That's like this dichotomy that exists throughout so much of, of culture. Or they are the bad mother, which is another trope we saw placed upon Britney Spears. Or all of these things that are sort of simplistic views, stereotypical views of the way that we see women. And so I think with in talking about their faith, potentially that came into play. The idea that it would absolve them is so interesting and something I hadn't thought about. But it's this idea that you're one extreme or the other. And even when you think about, you know, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, for example, who was the other very popular pop star at that time, there was this sense, and, and Christina Aguilera has said this in later years, that they were always being pitted against each other. Mm. And Britney was like the good girl. She was the good girl. You know, she was sexy, but she's still, yeah, she had this Christian upbringing. And Christina then, in contrast, had to be like the bad one. Mm -hmm. 
And there just wasn't room for a conversation that was more complex than that, or the idea that like there could be more than two blonde pop stars who were <laughs> actually <once>. pretty <laughs> different from each other. Um, we, it, we just had a hard time understanding and interpreting that. And even Brandy is another example that comes to mind, Brandy and Monica. You know, they were these two women. They were not particularly similar to each other. Their voices sounded completely different. And yet they were pitted against one another. And then they sort of embraced it and put out that song, The Boy It Is Mine, where mm-hmm. they're allegedly fighting over a boy. But the narrative, they had to be cat fighting. Right. It was the tropes over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks again uh, for the call, Sam, and the comments. Let's quickly go to Kevin uh, and Novi. Kevin, I've only got a few minutes left, but I want to squeeze you sure. in. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh-huh. I thought of Claudia Conway, someone who really blends entertainment and politics and is on uh, American Idol today, but she's only 16. And, you know, young women are are able to own their platforms more so now with social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, but men are still continuing to harass them online. And so even if it's not TV hosts today, I think the problem still exists and yeah. it's presenting differently today. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, great point. Uh, Jessica Bennett, that's kind of a sign of what maybe hasn't changed as much as we think it has or maybe as much as it should have. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, social media has been a blessing and a curse or new technology in that Claudia Conway is able to build this huge audience outside of any formal structure. She's able to talk directly to her fans. But yeah, she's still young. Horrible things still happen on social media. I'm sure she's getting harassed all the time. There's this sort of sense that if you are a woman on the internet, (laughs) you know what it is like and you know you have to be prepared. And so... We have the capacity now to call out bad behavior, which I think has been very empowering in in many ways and and was part of what contributed to Me Too. But we also have the capacity to simply cancel people over small things. Mm -hmm. And there's the capacity for harassment that exists online. And so while you've simultaneously seen the Free Britney movement, those who support Britney, who are largely fans on social media, a huge, huge group, gain power and been able to really elevate this conversation, we're also seeing the dark side of it as well. Yeah. I think I think he's right that Claudia Conway is a fascinating example and she's still a girl. Yes, yes. Okay, Jessica Bennett of the New York Times, it was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That is going to do it for us this week. I want to say thanks to associate producer Claire Brennan for her help with today's show. Come back on Monday when I'm going to talk with Mickey Kendall, author of Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.